Hello, and welcome to Today in STEM, as we discuss what's new in the realms of science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, as all combine to make your world a better place. I'm your host, West Sumner. This new program gives you an inside look at all things STEM, hearing from experts, and relating their knowledge to our everyday lives. We are welcoming back as our special guest, Dr. T. Dwayne McKay, for part two of our discussion of rocket science. Dr. McKay is the president of the Florida Institute of Technology and a former rocket scientist himself, who at one point in his career oversaw the space shuttle's main engines. Thank you for hanging in there with us, sir. You're welcome, sir. Thank you. Let's continue our conversation with a really hot topic, the feasibility of space tourism. With safety being considered and all of the publicity and marketing uh, surrounding space tourism, do you still see a day when space tourism will become more commonplace? Well, you know, uh, I don't think it's going to ever get to the point where uh, you're going to fly to space for $10,000. Uh, and I could be wrong. And, and by the time this happens, $10,000 with inflation will probably be closer to a million. But, you know, right now, the only people that can afford to go to space are, uh, on a commercial venture are the ones that, that are willing to pay for it. And, you know, and we're talking millions of dollars. I think Garrison was the first one to pay. He flew on the Soyuz, and, and his costs were uh, over $40 million, if I recall. He was a, uh, an expert in designing computer games, and to him it was really worth it. In fact, he loved it. I managed to sit on a committee with him. So uh, the day will come when it's much more common, but uh, until they build vehicles that that will send 100 people at once, uh, you're not going to get the cost down. And is, is that what it would take in your mind to make it more affordable, sort of doing it in mass? Well, you know, to be honest with you, Wes, uh, first time I ever thought about it. Uh, I, I think, uh, you know, th there are the, the materials that are necessary, the, the, the cost of the propellants, the uh, design, the engineering staff, the launch facility. You know, if you look, it's an expensive venture to launch anything into space. One way would be, of course, to make it a vehicle that accommodate more people. That would be possible. I think being able to, you know, and you can certainly cut costs down as SpaceX and, and, and Origin and others have proven that you don't have to spend the amount of money that the federal government was spending to do these things. They've cut it down by a significant amount. And I can't tell you how big that is, but we're talking about orders of magnitude. We're not talking about a factor of two. Now, here's a question that, that I must ask you. Would you ever want to go into space? You know, uh, this is a dangerous thing to say, but I think most of the people that want to go to space are semi-nuts. <laughs> uh, you know, and I, but I'm semi-nuts also, so therefore. But, um, you, you know, so many of these uh, individuals that fly, uh, they love flying. Uh, whether it be an aircraft or, or you can say flying a submarine, if you want to call it that, you know, they really love the air and love the, the adventure. And, and so they, they, they have a dream of going. And I had a conversation with the astronaut office leadership once, and, and, and I was talking about some of the problems that we were dealing with. And they told me, why are you telling us this? We're going, mm -hmm. you know, uh, there's nothing we can do about it. We want to go. And once they button that door, we're going. Mm -hmm. And as Winston Scott once told me, it's interesting since I worked on all of the propulsion systems and I was asking him about it. And he said, well, 
you know, uh, you know, when the when the main engines kick in, you you know something's going on and there's noise and you you rock a little bit. He said, but when the solid rocket boosters kick in, you know you're going somewhere. Mm. And uh, he said, I said, was it scary? And he said, no, it was exciting. Mm. And um, so you know, Winston could be a little more than half nuts. I don't know, but <laughs> a great pilot, great musician, and so many of the of the people that have earned astronaut wings for this country, and I'm sure for Russia and China too. They're not only brave individuals, but they're incredibly talented people. Yes, and if I may say, you're you're married to a former member of the astronaut corps. Well, that's true. She was a payload specialist selection, and and uh, because of Challenger, she she actually never got to fly. And uh, I don't think she regrets that now, but, you know, at the time, it had been a lifelong dream. And so um, very, very intelligent person who uh, uh, I, w- I would never tell her she's half nuts. But, uh, <laughs> you know, and she wanted to go, and, and they were willing to take the risk. Yeah, it's all about what risk are you willing to take. And they were most of the people I've talked to, and I've known a lot of them, they, they, they don't focus on the risk. You know, there's mm-hmm. two kinds of people. Us rocket science guys, we focus on all the things that can go wrong, mm-hmm. you know, and we try to work to make sure none of them do. And and then there are people that sit up in the front, and they're focused on what they're trying to accomplish and, and the good things that are going to happen. And so uh, I'm not sure a rocket scientist would make a good guy to sit up front, uh, but, uh, you know, because he's going to be sitting there worrying, or she is, about all the things that might go wrong. And and these these are very unique individuals that want to fly on these spacecraft. And then when you start putting civilians on there, um, and and I'll call uh, Shatner a civilian, I, I can't analyze how they feel because I don't know enough of them or ever talked to enough of them. But I know how the professional astronauts feel, and they when they fly, they can't wait for their next flight. Well, and some folks that you do speak to on a regular basis these days as president of Florida Tech are the next generation of scientists and engineers who will be charting a course perhaps back to the moon, perhaps to the Mars and beyond. What is your impression, Dr. McKay, of this next generation of rocket scientists who will be planning the future of space travel? Well, they're better than any of us ever were. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I mean, uh, the uh, young people that come to uh, Florida Tech and some of the other schools of our ilk, I mean, they're intelligent, they're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they live a dream. You know, when I was starting my education, it really was a dream. Uh, and and o- only a handful of people were involved in it. But at this point, it, it's a major enterprise. It's a major industry. And so you could uh, uh, start uh, mid- middle school thinking, I'm going to work in the space industry. There wasn't enough of that when people of, of my uh, generation were coming along. So, you know, I think they're the best. They're not only the best students that we've ever had. They're probably the most capable in so, so many ways. And they're used to the new technologies. You know, my ability to use the, uh, the social media and all the new, I, I can do it, but it's, it's something I have to try to do. For them, it's second nature. They're going to be by far the most productive uh, group of engineers and scientists in our history, no doubt about it. Uh, there are lots of things to be invented, lots of things to be done, a lot of better mousetraps to be made, and uh, I think the the um, future of the of our country and of the of the world and t- certainly of the space industry has never been brighter. 
And what's that expression about standing on the shoulders of giants, right? They have a, a great reservoir of, of experience and history to, to, uh, to launch from. Well, the giants, the, the real giants were the Von Brauns and the Goddards and the, you know, the Raziers. And, 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 I mean, there were some geniuses that Obert, et cetera, that really, you know, got over that first major speed bump. So, so that was done. You know, it's that first entrepreneurial activity that is so difficult to, uh, to you, you almost have to tunnel through the problem. You almost can't go over it. And, uh, you know, we're, we were lucky we had people uh, like a Von Braun and, and the crew from Pinamundi and, and, and the Russian scientists and, uh, and now the Chinese scientists and, and even, even uh, the Emirates, you know, they, they have their own space program. So, uh, India has been very strong. France is strong. You know, if I were a young man and, and I was ready to set out uh, on, a, uh, on a career, I'd say, wow, you know, the space industry, especially because of the commercial side, is uh, pretty appealing. Lots of opportunities to be had and challenges to address. Our guest has been Dr. T. Dwayne McKay, the president of the Florida Institute of Technology. Dr. McKay, thank you for joining us on this inaugural edition of Today in STEM. You're welcome, sir. Thank you. That's going to do it for this edition of Today in STEM, as we talk about all things science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. Until next time, I'm Wes Sumner. Today in STEM is brought to you by the Florida Institute of Technology and WFIT. More information available at WFIT.org.